Welcome everybody to episode 194 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, featuring myself, Ben. And I am David. This week, I believe, David, we're talking about the fourth galaxy, or as is, is better known, Galaxy 4. Yeah, a title which has no bearing whatsoever on the story. They it, do mention Galaxy at one point, right? I seem to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's sort of like how... In the following story, uh, Mission to the Unknown and then Dalek Master Plan, where you have galaxies and... Solar systems. It's sort of in that mid-60s weirdness referring to spatial things. So the, the, the titles really don't have much to do with the story, Galaxy 4, nor, nor do the individual episode titles have much. I guess the first, the first two, like 400 Dons and Trap of Steel really are more <laughs> uh, prosaic than uh, yeah. actually describing the action going yeah. on. And well, it gets it, better with airlock and then yeah. exploding parent. Yeah, airlock. <laughs> yeah, then it goes straight into like, and then there's an airlock. And next there's an exploding planet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it does seem to me, I mean, maybe this is getting too early into it, but like a lot of this is based around things that Ems has heard of. Like a galaxy and an airlock and Mm -hmm. ammonia. It's a kind of, you know, (laughs) like I've heard of those things. Those things are are, are something that I've heard of. Um, I'll just have those in the story for a bit without really understanding what they are. That, you know, I don't really know what a galaxy is, but I have heard of one. Um, Ammonia sounds cool. Um, Let's have some of that, Um, (laughs) you know, so. Yeah, Yeah, you probably heard that there's some atmospheres that have ammonia. So why not make the rules breathe ammonia? Why not? Yeah, and then there's the, the wonderful... What starts? <laughs> I don't know whether it's like a a, a William Hartnell uh, mistake or a, a, a scripting mistake, but the Doctor attempts to describe how great it will be when the planet explodes with like a silvery bits of hydrogen flying around. It's like okay, well, yeah, I guess he's heard of hydrogen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fail on that one. Anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, William Ems was not a chemist. He was a writer, and this is his. One and only story for Doctor Who, and yeah. I think it kind of, I mean, it, there's creative bits in it. I think the Chumblies are most creative, but again, it's the uh, BBC design department, I think, that gets the kudos for that more the than Chumblies, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, for the Chumblies. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think of the Chumblies? I like, I like the Chumblies. Um, what do I think of the Chumblies? I'm, I'm actually no. I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent to the Chumblies. I mean, okay. They, um, they move around. Um, they make a Chumbly sound, probably. Um, though I don't mm-hmm. really see, don't really understand how that comes about. They have those kind of weird, curved arms like mechanoids do. Yeah, which makes me think of mechanoids. Um, they definitely seem of the time. They, they're very encapsulating of nineteen. 19- 65, yeah. mid, mid-1960s. The vaguely disconcerting truck nuts hanging from the bottom of them, which is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I'm not yeah. sure what those are for. Because um, they... Yeah, anyway. Well, um, that, that's probably their ammonia fuel it is capsules. Their immu- ammonia they... fuel capsules, exactly. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, again, you know... Oh, given... That's how they reproduce. I, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> given the, I mean, given, uh, yeah, and again, you know, they're impressively run by midgets. Um, and mm-hmm. they've really gone, they've kind of looked at Daleks and gone, hmm, uh, how yeah. do we make these more otherworldly? Well, basically make them smaller. 
and let's get some midgets involved. Yeah, well, the little people actors, two of them, uh, went on to be Oompa Loompas in the so I 1971 Willy Wonka and Charlie and Chocolate Flame. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean they're they're they're, they're a big deal. Did did you watch the um? The, you must have you might you watched the making of documentary. Oh, right? uh, of course, of course, of course. Of course. You so yeah, gotta I, get gotta get your full um, buck worth out of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, these. exactly. You gotta have Toby talking to someone. Um, but yeah, I thought those. <laughs> I thought the the cuttings that Toby pulled from his reticule were very interesting with the mm-hmm. little people uh, advertisements. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah, I think they're um, they're good enough. I mean, I like the way they kind of collapse again. Like we were talking about evil, it's really interesting to have. A piece of animation and then a single episode. I thought, and, yes, uh, which you know, which is kind of really instructive on getting some kind of weird insight on the decisions made in the animation. As usual, I mean, obviously, one prefers the live action just because there's the ability to be more subtle with performances. I was, I mean, want to start on the animation a little bit. I was confused why the Chumblies, and also talking about Chumblies, weren't more. CGIE. I think that was purely a design decision based off of Big Finish animation to not go 3D. They're all 2D. Everything is completely 2D in yep. this. Yep. I, I would have loved to have seen the Chumblies like the Daleks. I would have loved to have seen them, mm. you know, unfold mm-hmm. and move around and have some perspective to them. But uh, so that that was that was kind of disappointing to me from the animation front. Well, they don't have Rob Ritchie on this animation team. No, no, they don't. So it could be a cost-saving measure or it could just be a stylistic decision because I don't recall much 3D elements at all in Fury, the one they previously did. No, there was very little 3D elements. Um, I was happy to see that they reined in the th- uh, the rubber arms, so this didn't seem to have the same arm problems that they had with Fury from the Deep. Yeah, the arms were slightly shorter. I did think the Doctor had had freakishly wide shoulders, which I thought were, <laughs> looked, looked a bit weird. And he had those strange, um, that strange kind of sunken eye shadow thing, which I yeah, thought was a bit odd. Likeness to Hartnell was not there for me. I, no. Uh, but uh, on the other way. hand, yeah. I thought they captured Maureen O'Brien, Vicky, and uh, Peter Purvis, Stephen. Yeah, it was pretty uh, good. Taylor really well. I mean, Vicky is probably the closest, in my mind's eye, that any of the animation characters have done. So I think spot on. And fortunately, uh, Maureen O'Brien has most of her time on Doctor Who surviving footage. Uh, We just have the Myth Makers and I think a couple episodes of the Crusade non-existent so there's not going to be a lot of reuse for that model but right. uh, bang on uh, you know 100 percent on vicky's model yeah yeah no i thought it was and i think I, i'm probably going to make the same comments as, I, as about evil that it seems to me that they find it a lot easier to animate the kind of smooth faces of young people than they do the expressive faces of old people which is you know mm-hmm. as i was saying last time that's the reverse of what you have with static static drawn work and speaking of editorial decisions with the animation what was your thoughts on having all the draven clones be clones actually use the same model for all three four of them? yeah no i like that i like that i thought that was good though again i mean here's some other strange decisions we were watching the live action and looking at some of the images um the Dravins did not have high heels they did not have heels no and the animation gave them heels and it seems to me that that was an odd decision. You know, if we're like, oh, with the 60s, they were really sexist. But actually, 
apart from some of the dialogue, it's not particularly sexist. However, when we do the animation in 2021, let's give them heels, mm-hmm. which I thought was strange. I mean, is it easier to animate someone walking uh, if they're wearing heels? So I think it was Gary Russell's decision on this one, and he put them in go-go boots. Okay. So go-go boots have heels, so that was they the decision. Do. Now, uh, listening to uh, Lynn Ashley, who played one of the Drobins in, in the making of, she said they were very, in full. Yep. Yeah, they were very stylish boots at the time, so it was purely a preference of the animation team. But also, those were lace-up boots, and go-go boots would have no laces, so it's less to animate, less drawing. Less drawing. Yep, less drawing to do. Yep, less animation to do. With yep, heels, you make all the drop-ins a little taller. Uh, I think it came down to someone on the Big Finish team preferred women in heels rather than in flats. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, and I like the kind of boxing yeah. boots that, that, that they wore in the live action. I, I thought those were more... I mean, I think they were more interesting because when you think about, you know, the 60s and you think about like women in TV shows, you think about the Avengers and Diana Rigg and you think, oh, like everyone's wearing heels and dancing around to like go-go music. Well, that's not the case, actually. I mean, similarly, actually, I mean, this is a stretch, but the the kind of, you know, sexist, etc. presentation of the Hartnell Doctor in um, Twice Upon a Time. You know, which is like, ooh, he's like a crazy old, um, yeah, you know, a caricature, 60s, a caricature of the actual character of mm-hmm. the first Doctor, and that's that's not what the first Doctor is like. He's just what we think he's like, or um, Moffat because we think he's every, like. Ev- <laughs> yes, ev- yes, everybody, everybody who's in their mid fifties from the nineteen sixties must have been like this. Just mm-hmm. like you know, every every woman who's on a TV show in the nineteen sixties must have been wearing go-go boots, which isn't the case. So I think it's I think that's a shame. And I mean, I'm I've obviously I, I don't want to make a big deal of it, but mm-hmm. that, I thought that was I thought that was an interesting choice for me to notice. Yeah, well, just to tag on to it, and we'll let this rest, is by losing the laces, you kind of lose that 60s connection, like, say, with the Cybermen, where the Cybermen had lace-up boots and that kind of stuff. So I think it would be more 60s to have the big lace-up boots than to have go-go boots. Right, 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 right. But other positives, at least for me, was the expansiveness of the alien planet, something you could never get in the sound stages that the BBC had to work with. So I I really like the the big, wide-open planet feel. Yeah, which version did you watch? Did you watch the black and white one or the oh, color one? color, of course. Color, of course. Yeah, no, I, and I, I took your advice this time and I watched the color. Yeah, I think I thought that worked pretty well. I think it was a slight shame that they dropped the kind of polystyrene tree things, which yeah. I kind of like yeah. from that design. Mm-hmm. And I think those could have been pretty easy to add in, but, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. But having it big and planety and thinking, okay, they're, you know... It really expressed that, that there's some kind of distance between mm-hmm. the two spaceships yeah. rather than, you know, on this, yeah. in the studio where they're just kind of shuffling from, you know, 10 feet from one <laughs> bit of set to another set. Just in the surviving footage where you see uh, Marine O'Brien kind of doing the fake running. Yeah, and, yeah. And stopping yeah. and stuff. You don't, you don't have to do that with animation because there is actual distance between the two Yeah, the two yeah. Crafts. I mean, Galaxy 4 as a story is a pretty much kind of standard issue you know, the Mings from the planet Ming Mong and the Mongs from the planet Mong Ming are having an argument and there you go, that's right. the story. Right. Which you know, which is fine. 
<laughs> but there's but, not much there to get engaged with at all. Exactly. But so there's a there's a great comic book that I'm a big fan of called Prison Pit, which is basically um, it's it's sort of wrestling. It's basically monsters attack other monsters, all right. and then they attack other monsters, and then two more monsters attack each other. <laughs> um, but it's written by this guy called Johnny Ryan, who is ostensibly a big Doctor Who fan, and actually you can see there's a lot of Doctor Who monster design in the monsters that he uses. But it is all set on this planet or mm-hmm. this pit, this prison pit planet, which is just a big open space with kind of random rocks where monsters wail on each other. Um, and it, this, this, the, whole, the whole expanse of this planet was giving me a, a prison pit vibe, which I was really enjoying because it's a great comic book. And again, you know, this is an anonymous planet. I'm not right. sure we're ever told that no. it has any kind of name. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, presumably it's in Galaxy 4 somewhere, the fourth galaxy. Um, so yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was pleasing me. So yeah, the, the, I, I, and it also had a, it had a vague sort of, it felt a bit like, you know, Masters of the Universe as well. Mm-hmm. That kind of animation where you get these big open spaces where people kind of run unconvincingly. <laughs> well, but at least they're running. I don't know. I, you know. I thought the animation was pretty fluid. I, I, I felt it more pleasing than what we saw in Fury from this team. So I think they're, they're definitely improving I wish that since they were doing 2D for the Chumblies and for everything else, that they would have laid off kind of the computer texture for the backgrounds, like for inside the spaceships. Right. Because those didn't seem as um, painterly as some of the other other aspects. So you have these very flat 2D characters, and then you have these more textured computer-imaged uh, backgrounds. And... Like in the Draven spaceship, that was a little incongruous. And then the real spaceship, I think, is probably the greatest departure from what we see in the sets. It's massively huge, which I'm totally on board with. But then we lose the transparency, the kind of the semi-opaque walls that were done in the original set where I don't think it would have been too hard to have kind of a blur or something so you could still see the planet. I thought that was a, a neat aspect of the real ship. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree, I agree. I mean, there was a mismatch, mismatch between the kind of painted backgrounds and then that kind of, you know, I don't know, sort of doom from the late 90s sort yeah, of, sort of yeah. pasted on texture, mm-hmm. which, you know, didn't really have any movement to it which mm-hmm. was sort of odd. So the, the graphics have this kind of doom, you know, mid-90s or late-90s kind of doom feel to them, kind of painted onto flat structures, and they don't kind of move. Um, uh, in the spaceships. In the spaceships, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the bigness of the real ship. Yeah. I think, again, I think the, the, the downside of that is they didn't really do anything with it being bigger. Um, no. it was, there were just like vast expanses of sort of just beige, <laughs> giant beigeness. Yeah, which again, considering you know, as I just said, with the uh, with the Draven ship, where you know they kind of painted on a quite sort of kind of detailed texture. Obviously, there was that kind of circuit board, very very pale circuit board texture on the flat surfaces of the real ship, but. They didn't really do anything with the ship being huge, which I think is a shame. Mm-hmm. Apart from do kind of inexplicable things for me um one of which is you know the grate that comes down that vicky is trapped behind yeah on the live action in airlock yeah she can't get through that i mean maybe she could just 
pull it apart with her hands because it's not really made of anything. <laughs> well, she's um, such a small, small lady true. too that she could just go through the big gaps. Well, the big gaps in the were even more obvious. I felt in the animation, um, they, they they kind of <laughs> lost that triangular. A pattern and they just had it kind of straight lines which were really literally wide enough for someone to walk through which mm-hmm. will just add an extra line there so I thought that was weird <laughs> I thought also uh you know there was a I think there was a it was a difficulty between the kind of detailed aspects so particularly the ammonia converter which was this tiny little mm-hmm. detailed thing and then just next door to something that basically looked right. like the great pyramid of Giza it's like well that's you know, why is that bit so detailed? And I know why, because that's the bit that the doctor's working on and mm-hmm. that's the bit they have to animate. And so that's the bit that's detailed. So I thought that was a shame. Um, and then, I mean, finally, again, comparing episode three animated to episode three live action, you didn't really see any real right. in the animation. Um, there was a big real eye, which actually kind of read to me as more like a mouth than an eye. Yeah, But, you know, the whole... You know, we're really curious about the, what the reels look like. And episode three finally gives us a, a good Glimpse. idea of, yeah. of, of what their appearance is. They have all this huge open blank space in the animation. And the reel is, it has this tiny, tiny, tiny little window. Right. It's sort of like, why not more reel? Because the reels are the thing. Yeah, we're the reels are the are this thing that we're really curious about and and the window in the animation is small the real window in the animation is smaller than the real window yeah. in the live action i don't understand why that is the case well i think if i was directing this animation i would direct it so you're coming from a real perspective when they're saying you really do not want to see what we look like so film it like keeper of Trarkin, where you're from the master's perspective you're looking out from You're looking out from the Rills perspective at Vicky and the doctor through the ammonia gas, through the kind of the window. And you you play a little bit from when when you have the Rill talking, you're looking over the shoulder of the Rill or looking out at Vicky and the doctor is something you can play around with it. But I don't know if it's a budget or just lack of imagination for revisualizing and reimagining this, but the real spaceship is really disappointing in this animation in that they lost a you know, semi-transparent, that semi-opaque view of the planet. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Which is by far their best set design, so they could have leveraged that through the you know semi-opaque walls. But they also make the rills really small. They could have made the rills much bigger because they have a much bigger ship. Something to fill it up. The scale was all wrong. And then you have like consoles and... Tiny little consoles, yeah. So are you saying that maybe the decision for the real window to be so small... Um, in the animation was because the reels are endlessly banging in on about how ugly they are and how you can't look at them. Is, is I don't know why they decided to do that because, you, like you pointed out, it's smaller than what it is in the live action. Yeah, yeah. It's obviously the design in the in you know the overall the original design for it was for the for the reels in general was triangles mm-hmm. and the ship is a giant pyramid the grid that comes down that traps vicky is is made of triangles um, yeah. the real doors are triangular and the reels themselves when we finally get to look at them are sort of triangle shaped right so here you go that's great okay you've got triangles let's just do a bunch of stuff with triangles and one could easily have imagined like a triangular lattice you want to 
of sort throughout the entire ship. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. Maybe even like a semi-transparent triangular lattice, and you know the reels are kind of you know in little pyramidal pods throughout the entire ship. Something I don't know, yeah. which I think might have been quite easy to animate, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But they had this great. I don't know whether you've read. Um, those tripod books, those John Christopher. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the aliens are, you know, they have a, um, I think that actually, I think they work on triangles as well. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, yep. they breathe a poisonous atmosphere. Um, yep. They're based on triangles, um, yep. blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I, you know, in some ways, I, I mean, I don't know this, but I'm wondering, uh, you know, did William M's, you know, had William M's kind of read those tripod books i think they came out in the 60s i don't know i was thinking i thought that tripod books were early 70s but yeah um but anyway i mean i haven't checked up on that maybe i'll check up on that right now as we're talking but you know they have that kind of feel to them and first book 1967 1967 so maybe john christopher actually watched um (laughs) watched galaxy (laughs) galaxy four could be there we go um but the reels are obviously civilized because they have a boomy civilized voice mm-hmm. and i would be expecting something that is a more has a more civilized feel to it yeah more like a kind of appreciative of good design yeah some kind of visual aesthetic yes rather than what yes we whereas get. you know obviously the dravins are, are we're told are nice to look at but have a crappy spaceship mm-hmm. the reels are horrible to look at but they have a gorgeous amazing spaceship so you know let's right. let's really let's really do that and give them right. something that's really a really kind of classical, beautiful, well-designed environment, which they don't get. Mm-hmm. Well, Rill's voice, which is spoken by Richard Cartland, is very deep, sonorous, booming. It's kind of a BBC continuity announcer type voice. Yeah, it has a kind of forbidden planet, sort of the day the Earth yeah. stood still, kind of, I am the civilized alien kind of feel to it. Right. Something you'd get out of like Star Trek with the ancient yes, civilization. Yes, definitely Star trek in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the actor yeah. then went on to play Melpha in. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> Dalek oh, yeah. Master Plan. Nice yeah, yeah, so little carry on in that season, but I think the rules were underutilized, undersold with the animation, and you could have done just so much more with them. I mean, there were glimpses of it. Another note that I made here when I was watching it: there's a French graphic artist, cartoonist, designer who I think came to prominence in the '60s called Philippe Drouet, um, who I'm a big fan of. And his designing was a lot of big, flat, empty space. A bit like Ian Miller is actually a lot of big, flat, empty space, and then these kind of intense, kind of twiddly details. Um, and I was almost seeing some of that Drouet influence in some of the designs. I don't know whether they're actually. Are you talking about the designs, the designs for the, for, the original? No, for the animation. Oh, okay. Uh, I was almost seeing that. And I was like, oh, God, if only they'd pushed that by another, mm. you know, if they rastified it another 20%, then we might have got something really interesting. Because I don't think you have to spend a lot of money to have interesting graphic design on a piece of animation. I think you just have to have people who are interested in doing it well, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And I yeah. think they obviously, you know, this, so, so Digitunes, Digitunes, right? You know, they obviously had the ability to do this because they did some, you know, pretty impressive large-scale designing for Fury from the Deep. But here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe this was a cheaper production or something. I don't know. But, you know, I said just a small amount more effort could have given us something that was equally easy to animate, but 
had some kind of you know design strength to it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's just anything more visually interesting than the big beige walls would have would have yeah. helped the reels yeah. ship out enormously. But you can imagine some, you know, uh, I mean, the, so the, sorry, I'm going on about, you know, the reels have these, yeah, the reels ahead. are triangles, but they have these big round eyes and they have these sharp teeth sticking out from their bottom jaws. Tusks. Tusks, exactly. So, okay, you've got triangles, you've got tusks, you've got circles. Mm-hmm. If you had those three elements, you could really come up with some really kind of baroque, baroque curly cues and just sort of, you know, beautiful design, which um, I think, again, you know, as I said, really works with the dichotomy that we're told that the drivers are beautiful they have an ugly spaceship and they're also ugly people the reels are ugly mm-hmm. to look at but they have a beautiful spaceship and they're beautiful people you know so anyway you know i kind of wonder who that theme was for because the time team uh, steven vicky and the doctor really aren't oh, fooled. tricked by that at all no. And then we get that from MAGA that the rules are horrible and ugly and whatever. So is it for the audience? Because it's certainly not our travelers no, that no, are I mean, confused th- by it. So it's sort of like a weird ele- – it's, it's obviously William M's hook – but he doesn't really he doesn't really do it. I mean, he tells it. He tells us that this is happening. Yeah. And obviously he, the yeah, reels yeah. have a, a weird inferiority complex about their appearance. I don't know why they should, but they, apparently they do. Like <laughs> we're ugly, don't look at us. Right. But yeah, no. And it's it's obviously from the very beginning, it's absolutely clear that the drive-ins are horrible, and you know mm-hmm. they want to kill everybody. They're mean. They're sadistic. We we learn in by episode three that Maga kills one of her own Rob- uh, troopers because she's wounded, and she can do that because they're basically kind of genetic robots. Right. They kill all their males, male members of the species. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know they're they're really they're they're you know they're space Nazis slash communists, um, etc. So the, yeah, they're not nice. And apart from Stevens, kind of like ooh. His, his kind of like um, ooh la, ooh la, la, la kind of reaction <laughs> when he first meets them, they are not presented as being particularly sexually attractive either. So, yeah, it's kind of weird in that way. Maga isn't played as a femme fatale at all. She's just really hard and cold and Horrible. yeah, sadistic. Scary, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's the... Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about before, you know, how in Colonies... Um, Ugh, colony in space captain dent was supposed to be a woman and they nixed that because that would be like too sexy well they didn't mm-hmm. nix it here you know marga's a really unpleasant sadistic creature and one thing that um just like listening to the dialogue marga is very close to mother i was really getting kind of mother from that and that made it even <laughs> more creepy um you know Ooh. that this mother figure has all her daughters which are, she grows in a test tube and kills when she mm-hmm. feels like it and they all obey her orders and are really frightened of her and you know it's it's right. yeah is there some nasty mommy some dearest ear, nasty stuff in here basically <laughs> yeah it's very it's dark yeah it's, it's the Draven society is very um fascist exactly i think is what we're, we're going, we're going. And, we, and we and unfortunately we don't really get any idea of what the real society is like at all other than the fact they find themselves to be ugly, which is which right. Is, There's some self-loathing. Yeah, going they they on really really loathe. Reels. Yeah, they loathe their appearance. I mean, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they should have some plastic surgery or something to make themselves feel more attractive. Who knows? <laughs> or lose some weight. You know, I don't know. Um, well, it's hit the it's, gym. We're going back to the real design philosophy with the triangular design. It does seem kind of to me odd that the Chumblies don't really fit with. With the triangle design of the real spaceship, we have the very, it's like a desk bell. 
uh, like a four-tier desk bell like you would use to ring for customer service or something like when that. you went yeah. to a hotel hotel or something. It's, it's a, this bell-shaped thing that expands, but then you have like all the very triangular bits in the real shape. So I think the Chumley design is really good, but where Ray Cusack did like the Dalek city in the Daleks, and then also with the design of the Daleks, they all kind of fit together. Or even like in... Uh, where you have the costume department and like robots of death and then the set design department where they, they're, we're, okay, we're all going to go art deco. There was a disconnect between the design of the Chumblies and the design of the Rills. So you don't really get that greater sense of real society where you have Baroque or whatever, you know, that kind of yeah. continuous design. It's sort of like, did the Rills really invent the Chumblies? I don't see any real inspired design yeah i had not thought of that that's an excellent point and i think you know if we were going to push this you know completely in okay this is an animated show direction Mm -hmm. based on your analysis which i think is excellent i'd have gotten rid of the the screen design of the chumblies completely and made them triangular and made them into pyramids um or that would have been that would that would have been i would have been crucified for that or alternatively i would have made i don't know i'd have made the um the real spaceship look like a giant chumley. I think that would be a better better choice. I think have instead of triangular go with that the real spaceship just be a giant chumbly with four tiers and then as it takes off you see the it expand. expand. <laughs> that, would be, that would look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then cuz cuz you have the four or the four I think thrusters underneath there you could, you know, that's the bottom of a chumbly. I think that's the the style that you'd want to incorporate all then and so instead of the triangulars you just maybe have kind of bell arches throughout yeah i mean i think i think what we're missing here and this is in no way to criticize big finish and digitunes even though it kind of is you know i think (laughs) we're missing the kind of overarching designers like you know martin garrity or adrian salmon or you know gav rymill or whoever you know there's there, there doesn't seem to be any anyone there doesn't seem to be a strong sense of design in the animation I, there's I, not one single artistic vision yeah. driving and this. this could be you know obviously the animators are in india the producers slash directors are in the uk it's a australia uh, australia where russell oh, is based right. they can do this because it's a pandemic so everything is done over zoom blah 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 um, mm-hmm. I think they're losing something here, which I think is a shame because I think, as I said, with another 20, 30% more effort, this could have looked amazing and it doesn't. Um, and I think the mm-hmm. elements are in there. Okay, okay. here's, here's another weird design decision. Um, so again, this is me comparing, this is actually the clip rather than the episode, comparing the drive-in spaceship to the animated drive-in spaceship to the live-action drive-in spaceship. So on the the, the live-action drive-in spaceship, the chairs and tables are kind of sort of Parisian cast-iron cafe tables, which is like weird. Mm-hmm. Which, you mm-hmm. know, okay, well, that feeds into they have a spaceship. But for some reason, the animation, they give them Werner Panton kind of curvy 60s chairs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, how is that easier to animate? Um, what, what on earth? I can only imagine it's like Gary Russell, you know, saying, well, they need to wear go-go boots. And like the guys in India going mm. like, go-go boots? Okay, and they Google go-go boot. Um, okay, we'll, we'll give them those. <laughs> oh, they know what go-go boots are. But yeah, I mean, thanks. I can imagine like, you know, Gary Russell going, okay, they need to have 60s chairs. And the guys in India go, 60s chairs? And they Google 60 chairs. Oh yeah, Werner Pan- Yeah, that 
that'll do. That, that, that looks like the kind of thing Gary's talking about because it looks a bit like a go-go boot and we'll do one of those. And it seems there's not a, you know, there needs to have been more over artist, art, art direction on this. That's just my opinion. They didn't maximize where they had strengths in the animation. And the, the strongest thing they had when you're coming with sets is the actual planet set. Right, right. And as mentioned, they didn't have the semi-opaque walls for the real ship, which would, would have highlighted that. They went with the 1970s approach when they're leaving the TARDIS, just going into black instead of having the planet background when they open up the TARDIS doors. It's just little things where you said maybe just 20, 30 percent more uh, vision or art. But maybe the budget didn't call for 20, 30 yeah, percent more. Maybe this was a cost effective thing and it's sort of like, well, yeah. this is we're just going to knock it out. And I mean, you're right. I mean, the people who are going to buy it are going to buy yeah. it. You know? Well, I mean, <laughs> example being us yeah. I, I mean you know you're right the advantage you have with animation over live action is that your sets can be so much better fantastic because you know mm-hmm. these are all made in tiny kind of drill rooms somewhere where they were actually filled so you could do something really expansive and i think there's a slight sense of fail there really so and actually interestingly i'm th- thinking about the arm thing i have a note here that i wrote um again i was looking up the other animated shows that digitunes have been involved with they apparently they work for Rick and Morty as well. Um, I don't know, I didn't actually literally work for Rick. They do the Rick and Morty show as well, and mm. I was okay because mm. like those characters have weird long arms that move around in weird long arm ways, but they're cartoon characters, so that makes yep. it funny. Mm-hmm. These are not cartoon characters, so let's let, let's let's be charitable well i mean i think what's happened so you know this is a low relatively low budget production you know they've already got a moving body that is rick sanchez or whoever okay we'll just <laughs> we'll, we'll just map some not very convincing drawings of william hartnell over the talk of rick from rick and morty yeah. which uh, you know i wouldn't be surprised if that's actually what happened mm. but mm. there you go maybe you know maybe yeah little things that get signed off on in the production i just question and it's just kind of like a throwback to fury from the deep simple things that shouldn't cost more money uh like getting Troughton's bobble hat the wrong color it you know right. it doesn't cost any more money to say oh no you just need to go make it blue not red yeah uh simple design things like the textures on the real spaceship walls why beige right why not something a little more fancy it's just going to be a texture i mean give the so here's an idea i mean give those flat textures of the real spaceship give them a kind of 60s kind of lava lamp pattern Mm. do that anything or if you had the semi-opaque walls you could have had the planet it just there's things that could have been that didn't cost any different amount of money. You have the same kind of budget. Yeah. I don't think it would cost that much more to do, yeah. like you said, have the trees or the geologic uh, strange shapes that they had on the original sets. So it's yeah. just, just little things like that. And then where you make the wide, uh, wildly big departures from the original, such as supersizing the real spaceship if you're gonna do that go for it do a big chumbly or do something different to kind of tie it together don't just say okay we're gonna just make it big and then do nothing with it other than just have really bland panels to be honest i mean we never see the real spaceship in the live action I mean, well, I guess, I mean, well, maybe from what what's surviving, you see the outside. But I mean, you, you never see its expanse. No, you know, it's, it's just another bit of set. 
Uh, it's a really flimsy, wobbly set, and it, it's it, pretty much it, the definition of like the sets wobble in Doctor Who. Right. Yeah. You know, this is where this came from. Yeah, and it creates an airlock. It's like one of my favorite Hartnell flubs, where he's going when the grill drops down on Vicky. The Doctor goes, "I can't move it. It's immovable." And it's sort of like <laughs> <laughs> that's not what the script said at all, and. It's it's shaking. The set literally is wobbling. He's literally <laughs> moving it. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so I, I and I went and one of the beauties of beautiful things about these uh, releases is Bignall or, or the researchers go find the uh, script, and so that scene should have been, uh, "Don't move, Vicky. I'll see if I can." It won't move. There's no way of opening it. I think we're being really hard on on the animation, but the story itself is really kind of light and, and oh, yeah. fluffy, and it, and it just makes me laugh because Hartnell isn't on the top of his game here, but then he comes up with these just uh, memorable flubs, like, I can't move it. It's immovable. It's sort of like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. There's just little things like that throughout it, and it uh, Galaxy 4 especially in this animated format, just brings a smile to my face. It just makes me laugh because it's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a silly story. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, please, please, gentle listener, do not imagine that we, that well, I hate the story. I, I watched it all in one go. I had a blast watching it. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I was taking notes because I'm going to do a podcast on it. So, you know, yeah. there's that element which makes it fun. But you know, yeah, it's 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 great, and uh, you know, as long as it's in in some ways because this is an alien planet, and because this is Hartnell, and because this is kind of a second division story, the 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 issues I have with the animation kind of didn't matter that much to me. Although there is one issue I take with the animation that I really do have a problem oh, with, which is. It, it, an exploding planet when steven is pulling the power cable at crotch level and plugging it in that is that's someone having a go at this and it's bad animation and it's look like he's uh, you know right it, it's it's not good and it should have never been signed off of by Big Finish at all. Oh, I'll have to, I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and look at that. So you, th- you think that's Yeah, someone... it's an exploding planet. He's, you know, he's having, Stephen's having this big ethical discussion with the Rills. He's suspicious of the Rills' motives. Once he gets it settled, he says, I'll help you. And he's pulling this cable and he's looking like he's pulling, the, pulling something else as he's walking towards to plug it in. So it's... Unnecessarily vulgar. Unnecessarily crude, yes. Rude, it's yeah. not yeah. not required. It's bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, I think it's singularly bad. Well, I mean, what 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 we're advising Big Finish here, Big Finish, was I'm sure you're all listening. Is <laughs> you you need an art director on this. You literally you need someone who's you need an AD. whose job it is to sit down and go like, okay, this should look like that, and that should look like this, and that's what the chair should look like, and do this kind of de- you know, you just need someone like that. Leave it less to Digitunes. Yeah, leave it less to the to the folks. Because, you know, I'm not criticizing the folks at Digitunes at all. They have a hard job. But I get the impression they're a little bit like building contractors. If you don't tell the contractor who's redoing your kitchen what to do, they will do it in the way that the cheapest and the most efficient and probably the wrongest way possible because that's 
then that's not their job to know what things look like. Their job is to get the job done. And I'm really getting this pressure with Digitunes is they need to be told more what they should be doing because if you don't mm. tell them, they're just going to, well, let's just, I don't know, let's just slap a kind of circuit board pattern on it. That'll do. It's a different team that you don't have, uh, Rob Ritchie, Gab Rymel, who are lifelong fans who make a study of set designs right. and sets and right. put in extra hours probably off the books to get all these details right. 100% they do, yep. Because of the love for it, you get Gary Russell's team, Big Finish Digitunes, which is more, well, we have a production schedule, we want to crank these suckers out. Yeah, which in some ways, you know, on a high level, the kind of cheapness of this animation suits the kind of obvious cheapness of the story, you know, um, and we've already, yeah, you know, but... it's a fun, it's a fun, funny, silly story, but it's not great television, particularly. It's not certainly not mm-hmm. great science fiction. Um, there is some super creepy elements to it, which are really accidental mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than purposeful, yeah. particularly to do with the Dravins and their society. It's more, you know, it's kind of like ooh, shock value, Right. Um, yeah, it's of course women would exterminate all the men if they were in charge, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah. um, which mm-hmm. isn't isn't examined. You know, I mean, actually, here's, a, here's, a, here's another thought that I had when I was watching it. I mean, the Dravin Society remind me a lot of the Federation in Blake 7. Um, <laughs> Servalin, you know, yeah. It's run by an evil woman. They've got humanoid robots um, who have to plug themselves in to, you know, stay alive. It's super sadistic. Everyone wears like shiny uniforms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, mm. you know, but I mean, you know, Blake Senna obviously did interesting things with that where Galaxy 4 doesn't, isn't really interested in doing interesting things. And to be honest, since it's a kid's show, they probably couldn't have done the interesting things anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, other little notes I have here. Uh, the Chumblies wobble the whole point i thought with the chumblies was they they wobble a little bit that's how vicky comes up with the idea oh, they're kind of chumbly the chumblies in the animation and very smooth i think that's fine but there's little sections don't they're not like a little hula girl on the dashboard they don't wobble at all they're very static in their various layers and you would expect as they're going maybe their movements across the ground are smooth but then their individual sections would kind of wobble right but going back to the original production the special sounds the sound effects that brian hodgson created are wonderful and i think they still hold up today in in the making of he says they're very much of the period but i think they carry through i mean it's it's 50 years on 50 almost 60 years on here and the sounds hold up really well. I think they're one of the strongest things in Doctor Who forever. And it, it just shows that the Radiophonic Workshop really created magic out of almost nothing. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's clear. I, you might know this better than I do, but were turtlenecks like a big thing in the 60s? Well, what? Because... So- turtlenecks i don't know is that what you call them in the uk with the the like uh, fraser hines jamie would oh, always yeah. wear them steven yeah. taylor is wearing a turtleneck it's always just a plain turtleneck i don't know if this is what they're called in the uk but it's just like a long sleeve shirt with no uh buttons or anything and the collar is a thick collar with a, a fold in it the, so the, it's, it's like so, like a turtle yeah well and, and we britain we call them polo necks okay. i think because of polo the sweet the candy which is like a mm. mint with a hole in the middle um okay. i think that's why they call polo necks i would have to google that to find exactly whether that's the case or not and they yeah they were huge in the 60s 
Because um, it's, I mean, you it's know, if you like look they're at, always wearing them. If you look at the men from Uncle or the Avengers, um, not obviously not Steed, but you know, villains. <laughs> if right. you watch Bullet, for instance, and Steve McQueen wears a turtleneck all the way through Bullet. You know, and Steve McQueen is the coolest man of the 60s and the 70s. So, yeah, they're big. What did you call them? Uh, Polo necks. Polo necks. P-O-L-O necks. I think, and I'd have to do some online research, I think because of the suite, the polo, which is a a, um, a, a particular kind of um, minty suite with a hole in it. And this story was beginning the transition between the Lambert and John Wiles, Verity Lambert and John Wiles era. And watching the animation in part two, Trap of Steel, when the Chumblees bomb the TARDIS. Right. And you see Hartnell get knocked off his feet by the blast. I just wonder (laughs) if John Wiles was a little more on the board and if Lambert wasn't still in the building or still wasn't an associate of the production team, that would have been the opportunity that he would have taken to get rid of Hartnell at that time. And sort of like, well, can you imagine Galaxy 4 being a regeneration story in the middle of uh, (laughs) of the story? The first doctor dies yeah. due to a chumbly bomb. Chumbly bomb. <laughs> I, I, sorry, this is I, I, the, I, just just going back to kind of the story in general. Um, the ending is super dark as well, which I think is weird. I wonder if it's darker in the animation than it would have been in. Yeah, because the... in the animation, you know, everyone's falling into pits of lava and right. Marga staring despairingly up into space, etc., etc., etc. But the fact that the TARDIS crew merrily. Fly off, leaving leaving the villains to like die in front of our eyes. Yeah, is, is kind of dark. Cold, cold. It's cold yeah. and dark, which is exactly where Marga and her crew <laughs> would have ended up, floating in the darkness of space. Yeah, and Stephen Jettison unplugs the corridor. We don't see this, and then just kind of sees them approaching, firing their weapons, and he just kind of throws out see, the yeah, power yeah, like, cable. Yeah, puts up two fingers, like yeah, okay, bye. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> the just... I mean, because they, they, they literally could have saved them. Or they could have taken the chum. That, that was the other thing. If this was uh, the Graham Williams era, the Chumbly would have been a companion. It would have, been, yeah, it would have yeah, had but... one of the Chumblies come aboard. Exactly. Chumbly comes aboard. And, it's, and it basically, it becomes an RTD2, as someone noted. I think it was yeah, Peter Purvis yeah, yeah. was noting it's like kind of an RTD2. becomes the RTD2. Yeah. So it's, and I said, yeah, you're probably right. It probably the screen just like went white or something. But yeah, it is it is a bit gratuitous. <laughs> it, it also it makes makes me laugh though. It's, it's sort of it's, like uh, it's funny. Maga pushes one of her clones effectively into the lava, and then she gets consumed by lava yeah, herself. Lava. Uh, yeah. lava. Yeah, the exploding planet. We don't know why it explodes, but it just was going. It's going to explode. And two dons. Yeah. And two yeah, dons. Yes, yeah. like planets do all the time. <laughs> let's face it. Let's face it. They're continually exploding. Uh, so. Like I said, it makes me laugh. It's not the strongest Doctor Who script. It it could have been uh, epic, I guess, if you went for it in the animation. The artistic decisions are always interesting you make if you're going to be that uh, faithful to the pacing to make sure that you're going to keep the original length and then what you deviate from. If you're going to keep the exact timing and all the sound effects exactly the same, but then you're going to switch them in from lace-up boots to go-go boots where do you draw the line in that fidelity to the original or not? That just seems weird to me. The weird line of fidelity is is, is something, I again, if, if the listener wants to rewind back to our conversation about Fury from the Deep, 
mm-hmm. by the same team is ex- exactly the same. And, you know, my big point there was like, you know, why bother to animate a helicopter, which mm-hmm. is more complicated to animate than like a drawing a cool mm-hmm. helicopter. What decision are you making yeah. there, basically? Yeah. And why did you make that decision? And again, I, I, I think it really comes down to art direction. It's okay, what do we change mm-hmm. here? Uh, and as much as I admire Gary Russell and et cetera, et cetera, you know, I think 60s women would have to wear go-go boots is the wrong kind <laughs> of art direction. It's, the, it's, it's art direction from someone who's used to thinking about the words and scripts rather than what things look like. And just kind of final thoughts on the whole DVD Blu-ray package. I really like the Finding Galaxy 4 documentary with Paul yes. that Paul Vanessa um, yes. interviewing Terry Burnett, Rafe Montague, and then uh, Jean Vincent Rudzik of the finding the bits and bobs, you know, complete episode of Galaxy Four and the recovery. Fascinating stuff. That's the yeah. kind of stuff as an old old school fan, I really like it it's it's removed from the you know you don't have the peter purvis interview you don't have the marina bryan interview but you have these are the heroes you know, effectively that save bits and yeah. uh kept, yep. Yep. kept this uh in, you know um arguably important televisual uh representation from 1965 and made it yeah. available so we have it on shiny disc yeah and i love that that's a standalone which is the point you just made that it isn't mixed into the general documentary because it's just absolutely fascinating and i think the takeaway from me is you read a lot about like you evil collectors hoarding blah blah mm. blah and, and i think totally it was really that. obvious you know um i can't remember the guy's name now but the guy who returned galaxy 4 oh terry burnett yeah he's a collector of things he has his own particular area of interest he has stuff he has a lot of stuff. He doesn't go through it all. Mm-hmm. And even when he does go through it, because he's not a Doctor Who fan, he doesn't know what's not missing. So, you know, I think it really shows what collectors are and actually gives us some hope that there may be more material out there. Yes, I think there's surviving single episodes in private collectors' hands. I really hope as these older collectors... Uh, pass on that their families just don't dustbin everything and we lose it because there are hidden gems in not just Doctor Who, but I'm sure other programs or movies out there in someone's garage, converted garage, shed, that can make their way back to the archive that we can all rewatch or watch again and share. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yep, yep. Even the bit with Jan Vincent Rizix taking a gamble and sending a Radio Times anniversary issue to the Australia uh, viewer who returns the 8mm off-the-air clips. Those are what we have of the regeneration of Hartnell the Troughton. I mean, right. so if he didn't take the chance, we wouldn't have it. So it's just great that fans just a little bit older than us preserve so much of uh, our uh, Doctor Who history. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So I guess that sets up the next episode of Metabulous 2. Yeah, yep, revisit power, absolutely. Revisit power, the special edition, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I guess we had joked that the Dalek Emperor had killed a Chumbly to make it its hat, so I think it's only fitting that we... (laughs) Return to the Daleks, because the dalek Chumbly connection is strong. It, it is strong. It is strong. Yeah. yeah. Maureen O'Brien likes Chumbly. She loves the Chumblies. That's, much that's really better. Clear. Yes. Much better than yeah. Dalek. They're brilliant ideas. She's, I think she called it the most brilliant idea that ever appeared in Doctor Who. Oh, there you go. Who knew? Vicky, Vicky and Chumblies <laughs> are linked forever. Inexorably, or whatever the word yep. is. Yes. 
Well, great. All right. Yes. Well, thank you for listening to episode 194 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been contemplating uh, beautiful bad people and bad designer (laughs) 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 with Ben (laughs) I have been deeply concerned about the Chumpy's truck nuts Um, (laughs) with David Um, we'll see you next time alright thanks for listening bye bye